It helps us to read, to think, to consider and understand. For example, John 3.16, a verse that many of you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever should believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That verse is beautiful. It's the gospel in one verse. But if you want to understand that verse better, we could look other places in Scripture. You you really should read through the book of Romans, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. You, You need to consider 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. If you want to understand what that means, that God so loved the world, you need to look at 1 John, chapter 1. 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, Psalm 136. We could go on and on. You see, as we look at scriptures, we, we understand, we see the depths. Instead of just being a, a small, small light, it becomes, it becomes an roaring fire. Instead of just one voice, it's a, chor- it's a chorus. You see, the more we drink in the word of God, the more fully we believe and we understand. See, our faith is built on knowing. And as we know, we believe. Believe, that, that, is, that means we, we trust. And as we trust God, we're transformed. Do you need to be transformed? Yeah, you do. I do. God tells us in Romans chapter 12, God says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? How are we transformed? Wait for it. By the renewing of our mind. The Holy Bible, that is what is going to transform me. God's Word. If I neglect this, the world will conform me. And some, some of you are more conformed to the world than transformed by the Word of God. By the way, that, that word transformed, it really, it really means to keep being transformed. So if you were transformed last week, last month, last year, that's great. But the exhortation of God is to keep being transformed. It's an ongoing, it's a continuous thing. So God wants us to feed on him. Just like we eat, hopefully, daily. May we also eat from God's word to feed our souls. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll include at some point here uh, on the WhatsApp group uh, a couple suggestions for reading plans to help you to think, okay, how could I read through? There's different ways we can do it, but so we could be reading every day. Some people like to read through the Bible all in a year. Some people like to read one book for a whole two weeks or a month. You know, I don't, I don't really care how, what Bible plan reading you have, but I do care that you're reading the Word of God. Wow, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You know, in fact, if we, if we don't, prioritize this. Your faith will not grow. Actually, actually, your faith will grow. It will grow cold. 
So that's kind of a big rabbit trail. We need to get back to our text. Our text is going to be in the book of Galatians, chapter 4. If you'll turn there in your Bibles, Galatians 4. Maybe a funny place for a Christmas message. But we might think about this as seeing Christmas from heaven's perspective. Galatians chapter 4, before we read, um, would, you, would you bow with me one more time and pray, ask God's blessing? Father God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can be here. Thank you, God, for freedom. It's a, it's a great blessing to live in a country where we're not concerned that a meeting like this will be disrupted, that we be dragged off into prison. God, it's a great gift and privilege to meet and not have to worry that a missile will come land in our building. Oh God, we realize that in this season there is so much turmoil and struggle in the world. For the measure of peace and safety that you've given us, we want to thank you. We pray for those that are without those things. May your light, may your hope shine in the darkness. God, would you guide us and lead us, use our time in your word to, to speak into our lives. God, give us ears to hear and hearts to believe, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians 4, we're going to jump into the middle of this book, and I realize that's kind of awkward. Have you read the book of Galatians? I hope so. If, if you had to summarize the book of Galatians in one sentence, that might be hard. What would you say? Maybe a summary of the book of Galatians would be freedom from subtle slavery. Maybe, maybe a, a one-sentence summary of Galatians would be a warning to zealous believers not to alter or add to the grace of God. Maybe one more. Maybe we could say it's a warning against the subtle disguise of the flesh to imitate holiness. It's a good book. It's a great book. If you haven't read it lately, six chapters. We're going to begin in chapter 4, where Paul, he's continuing reasoning an argument about that justification, true righteousness, true freedom. It can only come through the grace of God. And his argument is that that's how it has always been. Not just now, it's always been by grace through faith. And that the law, and following the law, or any law, it cannot make us righteous, and that law, it cannot make us holy. So maybe what we could do is look at this passage. We could see the, the when, the who, the how, and the why of Christmas. The when, the who, the how, and the why. Let's take a look at the text. Galatians chapter 4. Let's begin at verse 1. God's word says this. I mean that the heir, 
as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Now, this does not sound like a Christmas message. Are we sure we're at the right place? Yeah, we are. Just wait. So we're jumping in. You can see this. He's right in the middle of an argument. So we'd have to go back and read chapter 3 a little bit. He's presenting an argument. What is it? From chapter 3, he's addressing that the law did not save. Actually, he's saying what the law does is the law imprisons. It imprisons. That is because the purpose of the law is to expose our sin and our need for a savior. It's it's like turning on the light exposes what's there. And he says, the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. So the heir, in this idea, the idea is it's God's chosen, God's elect, it's Israel here. As he is a child, that he hears, while he's immature or unconverted, he's no different from a slave. There's no difference. Even though he is the owner of everything, what does that mean? He's the owner of everything. He's the heir. The phrase best highlights the aspect that though fallen, wayward, and disobedient, God's people, Israel, they were intended to be the heir and the vessel. The choice for everything. It was through Israel that God intended to bless the world. Yet without their submission to God, without their dependence upon God, they are really the same as every other individual. They are the same as other nations that refused to submit and follow to God. So they were just like a slave. A great thing to stop and ask here is, what makes you and I different from the unbelieving nations and the world that rejects God? And refuses to worship him. What makes me different? Is it it my self-proclaimed assessment? I think I'm an heir? I I call myself an heir? Is Is that how I become an heir? You see, Paul's point is this. If there is no discernible difference, no transformation, no new desires, no repentance, no fruit of repentance, no no life. We're, we're wrong to assume that there is a difference. So, so the question for us needs to be not, do I, do I call myself a Christian? Do I think I'm a Christian? There are certainly plenty of people that call themselves Christians that think themselves Christians, but are not. See, the question we should ask is, how has the gospel changed me? You see, we should have concern for ourselves if you're living, looking, and acting like a slave. Perhaps the reason you look like a slave, act like a slave, and live like a slave is that you're a slave. But the text continues. Let's read it again. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. 
The idea of guardian here, we'd go back to the previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 24, we'd see that he's identifying the guardian as the law. So, so we're under the law. In the, same, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. All of us have that in common, this idea of enslaved. I want you to think about that for a second. Slavery. From the history almost of the world, there has been slavery. In the past, sadly, in the present. It's someone who's in possession of another one without a voice or right or will. What does slavery mean here? This slavery means separation from God. Well, who's a slave? Everyone. That is where you and I and everyone begins. Who, everyone is a slave. Well, what enslaves us? Sin. How was I enslaved? How did that happen? It was me. Have you read um, Charles Dickens' story about Scrooge, A Christmas Carol? Have you read that story? It's a great story. It's not really a Christian story. So, so don't go to Dickens for theology. Can I say that? But it's a story of redemption. In fact, that's what makes it a great story. Almost all the great stories of the world are stories of redemption. That's why it's compelling. Because you know what? Deep in all of our hearts, there's a desire to think that there can be redemption. Because we all know it. We all know we're broken. We all know we're not the people we should be. We all know we're not the people we want to be. In fact, each of us is far, far more like Ebenezer Scrooge than we may really want to admit. And in that way, the story of a Christmas carol, it's an echo of the gospel. Anyway, back to the question, how how was I enslaved to sin? How were you enslaved to sin? In In the story, a Christmas carol, if you know it, there's a character named Marley. And Marley gives the answer. Marley is a character who is wearing chains. And he says this, he says, I wear the chains I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will. And freely, I wore it. You see, Charles Dickens got that much right. You and I voluntarily, we sold ourselves into slavery. When you and I chose darkness over light, when went wrong over right, when, when I lied, when I cheated, when I stole when I lusted, when I hated, when I judged, envied, when I mocked God, when I refused to acknowledge him, when I I took credit 
from God for the things that he's done. I was enslaving myself. And you've done the same. Day by day, you and I added another link to the chain of our bondage. And you know, that could have been the end of the story. This passage could end at verse 3, friends. Enslaved. Praise God, it doesn't end here. This is not the end of the story. This does not need to be the end of your story. Read on to verse 4 because this is where we get the when. The when of the gospel. But when the fullness of time had come, verse 4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. You see that the word there, it starts out with the word but. It's a word of contrast. This is how it was over here, the slavery, the darkness, but God in the fullness of time. You know, Jesus came at the exact right time. God's timing is always right. He's seldom early, but he's never late. What made it the fullness of time? You know, historically, there was a window of time when Jesus was born, like really no other time up until that time on earth. God had been providentially at work. God had been working through circumstances. God had been working through seasons. God had been working through sinners and Caesars. He had been at work making things all ready. See, God's able to use all these things. That's how big God is. What made this a fullness of time? Well, just a couple things. In the world of that time, it was a very special time that there was a language unifying the world. The, that portion of the world was all speaking the same language, and that was a very, very different change of events. They, the, the prominence of Koine Greek. The Roman Empire was, was at its strength, and they had connected the known world together with the Roman roads. The ability to travel across the known world was, was easy because it was connected by an extraordinary set of roads, some of which still exist today. Not only that, where there were roads in a common language, there was a piece of Rome. So going from one country to another country, it was, it was peaceful, it was guarded. There was, there was a level of peace and safety. It was a fullness of time because, because of the brokenness of Israel. See, from Israel's perspective, this was like the darkest moment. It had been 400 years of silence since the last prophet had come. They were now, they were, they were an occupied nation. They were at the mercy of the Romans. It was hopeless. They were waiting for a Messiah. They needed a Messiah. In the fullness of time. God's timing is always right. It's the same phrase from Romans chapter 5, verse 6. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So it says here that God sent forth his son. 
Now, sending something, if I send something, it means it exists, right? Some of you send out Christmas cards and Christmas packages. In order to do that, you had to have something to send. You understand what I'm saying? So when it says God sent forth his son, it's a demonstration that, of the fact that the son pre-existed. He was with the father from the beginning. Jesus was not created in Bethlehem. He's always existed. In fact, this is how we get to the, the how of the, question, of the text. The how? This is the Christmas story. It's the part you and I already know. But I want you to stop and pause and consider for a moment. This Christmas story? This is how God sent his son into the world. I want you to think about for a second how utterly unimaginable the Christmas account is. I mean, let's say, let's say you don't know the story about Mary and the manger. Let's think for a second. How would the ruler of the universe send forth his son? I mean, if we didn't know how he did it, how do you think it would happen? I mean, you would think it would be a pretty massive sound and light show, wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't we just kind of expect that? Like the coming of the Son of God, like there would be some things going on. I mean, today, it's been the history of the world when important people arrive, they have an entourage. They have a, they have a, a convoy. It's a big deal. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't even have a limousine. This is God and it's the arrival of his son. You would think that his arrival would have been the biggest and most unforgettable arrival in the history of the world. No. An insignificant, likely teenage young woman. That's how God the sun entered the world. No palace, no entourage, not even a hospital, not, not, not even a midwife. And where? Bethlehem? That's kind of like Yukmuk, Sweden, okay? It's where? Yeah, that's the idea. You have no idea where Yukmuk is, it's in the middle of nowhere. I mean, it wasn't Beijing, it wasn't New York, it wasn't Rome, the, the capital of the Roman Empire. It's Bethlehem? Come on. You say, well, well didn't we say, just saying about it, the angels, right? There were angels that appeared. The glory of them sh showing around. I mean, that was a pretty big deal. Yeah. Who's the audience of that? It was like six or eight shepherds out in the field, Right? That's who the God of heaven announced his coming. That'd be like announcing it to the, to the guy who cleans the metro station. You see, because the people that are faceless and meaningless and mean nothing to the world, God, they mean something to him. And the shepherds, they were not important. See, this is how, this is the how of God sent his son to the world.
But more than this, born of a woman, that this phrase is pointing to, it's emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. Now, this is the part of the, the, the gospel narrative that is very hard for us to understand because we're talking about God, who is fully God, became man. So both God and man. And here he is, and this is the idea that he is born of a woman. It's, 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 it's a critical part of this. Deity and humanity, divine and human. That's the meaning of the incarnation. We need to go on. Um, look at verse 4, because here we have the why. Verse 5. Why did God do this? Verse 5, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Here's the why of Christmas. Why Jesus came and was born in a stable in the middle of nowhere. It was to redeem. To redeem those who were under the law. That is slaves, condemned, guilty. That we might receive adoption as sons. The idea of adoption is a really powerful picture of what salvation is. I have no idea what it would be like to, to not have a family or to, or, to, or to have the opportunity to be adopted. I would think that would be a long, strong desire that to be, to be part of a family, to be included. You see, and, 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 and the desire is one thing. But the child being adopted, they don't choose that, do they? The desire, yes. Adoption is done by the parents. And this offer of redemption, it's the offer of buying. It's a purchase. And did you catch the phrase from before that? It was Jesus. Jesus was born under the law. Under the law to redeem those who were under the law. You see, he lived this perfect life according to the law. Billions of people have been born on the earth. Not one. Except Jesus. Could say, I followed the law. I've done God's will. And he did. He submitted himself to that and followed that perfectly. And that perfect life was going to be the payment for all the imperfect lives that could never keep the law. And he would be the redeemer. You see, remember what the angel said? The angel told him his name will be Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. See, the cross, the cross we could almost say is cut out of the same wood as a cradle. Jesus came to this earth to be light in the darkness, but to redeem. What a beautiful 
word. The, the idea here is, is a rescue mission, okay? I mean, think about this. If someone had a heart attack, someone had fallen through the ice, a building's on fire, someone's trapped inside, a boat is sinking, the people are calling Mayday. In all these situations, if help is not sent, the person in need will, will, will perish, they'll die. So, like an ambulance is sent, like a rescue team is sent, or a fireman or the Coast Guard, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we could become the righteousness of God. Just a couple thoughts to conclude. In the fullness of time, it says, God sent forth his son. Friends, one of the hardest things of this world is we live with expectations, with hopes, with dreams, with desires. And there's not a single person in this room where the timing of things has either disappointed, crushed, or broken us. We live in a world where, where things don't happen the way we want, when we want, or how we want. But this verse demonstrates something. There's a God of heaven who is outside of time and over time. And he is working in the events, not willing for the evil, but willing for the outcome of good in spite of the evil. I love the words in Psalm 31, verse 15, where David says, my times are in your hands. Friends, I don't know what is going on in the times of your life, but I hope and pray that you could say that. You say, wow, I, I know, even though I don't like what's going on, even though, though I don't understand what is going on, I believe God, my times are in his hands. Point number two, redemption is of God. Somebody once said, salvation is a partnership. What do you think of that? It's a partnership between God and man. It's true in one extent. The partnership is this. We do the sinning and God does the saving. Redemption is by God. There is no getting this out of ourselves. We cannot do enough good. We cannot be enough good. We don't have the ability, the power. But this is the offer of God to exchange his goodness for our brokenness, to exchange his righteousness and to offer peace in, our, in all of our turmoil. All that cost, all that cost, it cost God everything. He offers to you and me freely through his son by believing, by trusting. And the offer, point number three, is adoption. God doesn't, God doesn't save us and want to put us in a corner and think, okay, just, just try not to get into trouble. He, he adopts us, friends. As his sons, as his daughters. 
He welcomes us into his family. Not the black sheep kind, even though that's us. He draws us in. He wants us to be near him. That is the heart of God. Do you see this? This is the, the truth of the incarnation. God came near. He did everything so that we could have a relationship, that we could walk with him, that we could be holy. Have you been adopted? Do you know God as, as, as your father? I know that's a daunting title because some of us have fathers that are not kind, they're not caring, have not provided. But that's not the God of heaven. He's a good father. He's a father that wants to draw us near him, and he can do that because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Friends, that is, that is seeing Christmas from heaven's perspective. It was a rescue mission. And we desperately needed a rescue. And that's why he is the Savior. Let's pray. God in heaven, we... We can't imagine your, your loving care for the world. How the Lord Jesus Christ set aside all his, all his glory and put on this robe of humanity. We thank you, God, that this Christmas time we, we're celebrating the arrival of a king. God, have mercy on this world that we, we did not receive him. The only crown that Jesus Christ, the only throne that Jesus Christ received on this earth was a cross. The only crown he received was that of thorns. God, we thank you that his death means life to us. We thank you that the resurrection speaks that his death was accepted, his payment in full was true. God, we ask that that same power of the resurrection that rose Jesus from the dead would be alive in us. God, that we could walk in the newness of life that we have in Christ. God, I pray that if there's some here today who, who don't understand that, the, the, the idea of the gospel, of trusting you, is a foreign thought. God, be at work in their heart and life. May they taste and see that you are good. God, for us that, that have believed this, how we pray, God, as I talked earlier, that we would be being transformed. Make us more like you, God. Let this, this truth sink deeper into our lives. May the, the light, the hope, the glory, the love of God shine in us and through us. God, may we draw near to you. May we abide in you. May we rest in you. May we walk with you. So God, whatever's preventing that in our lives, we, we ask God, give grace to deal with that. We pray, Lord God, that you would increase, that we would decrease. God, that we would um, shine forth your light. We, we thank you for this Christmas day. We thank you for 
the hope that we can have because you sent your son to the world. We give him the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Close with a song.